Hello, I am Cesara J, and I teach employees and entrepreneurs how to maneuver games of business politics with their morality, integrity, and health intact. And this is Business Politics 318 Podcast. Welcome. So I started Scene versus Shadow Workplace Initiative because of trauma that I endured in the workplace. And I vowed to help others never endure what I had to go through. As a result, I've educated many companies and employees from major organizations such as uh, major airlines, government agencies, financial institutions, and even law offices. I've decided to start this podcast to help others maneuver games of politics by really hearing and obtaining the advice of people in different industries. This episode is brought to you by the Scene vs. Shadow Employee and Entrepreneur Support Workshops. You can find them on Eventbrite under Things to Do in New York City or Business Classes in New York City. Welcome to Business Politics 318. Good morning, everyone. I think you're going to absolutely enjoy today's show. It is about maneuvering the selling process, entrepreneurship, and technology risks in business with cybersecurity expert Jeff Miller. You do not need to be in cybersecurity to benefit from this episode. Jeff Miller gives a wealth of information on so many topics today when it comes to business. I mean, it is amazing. And Jasmine Stith, she's going to be the guest host today. She's actually a Wall Street management professional whom I met from my church. And I just absolutely adored her. And she's wonderful. You will find that she's an amazing podcast host. And no wonder she actually has her own podcast called The Walk by Faith Show. So you should check that out. Um, She also has an online brand called The Pretty Plug that informs and encourages people to keep God first in every area of their life by walking by faith. Then you have Jeff Miller, my wonderful friend Jeff Miller, who is a wonderful selling, marketing, business coach, mentor for so many, a true cheerleader, and very expert in the cybersecurity industry. You will love today's show. So please, please, please listen carefully to what they share. And also note that Jeff mentions a lot of books that you really need to take note of and have that as part of your figurative arsenal in your um, business toolkit. I think you will truly benefit from today. So stay tuned, okay? And let me know what you thought about this episode. Happy listening. Well, hello everyone. And again, she, Cesare did an amazing job introducing. One, I think the biggest thing we can take away is that God is what connected all of us. But the information we're gonna share is something that it's so important and vital to not only entrepreneurship community, but it relates to cybersecurity, to product marketing, to building a business. And we have our guest here today, Mr. Jeff Miller. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you, Jasmine. 
<laughs> Thank you. And so um, I, I feel like we had some brief introductions, but one thing I learned about coming to New York, it's not about just asking somebody, what is it that you do? But it's also about asking who you are. So Jeff, in, in short, like, can you tell us who you are, why you're here today, some of the things that really turn you on uh, when it comes to technology, cybersecurity, product marketing, just give us some of the things that are that really display like who you are. Okay, so who I am according to a DISC profile would be a high D. <laughs> so I tend to be, and I, apparently that's 18% of the population, by the way. So I am one of those crazy, uh, driven, uh, sometimes to a fault people. And uh, it's good to know that your, your strength can also be a weakness. Uh, but, but I'm a driven person. Um, I'm a technologist. Uh, I've, I've done sales. I've, I've built the company branding, marketing, and so on. Right now, I would, I would actually call myself a professional cheerleader more than anything else. And <laughs> we, can get, we can travel down that path, but I, I, I encourage people. So that's, that's what God's given me. That's my gift is encouragement. And I do that professionally in the context of technology and specifically cybersecurity. So Jeff, can you tell me about the business that you started and how you got the vision to just go into cybersecurity? Because I know you have a, a degree in engineering and I want you to be able to tell the audience this as well, but how did you really start your business and what was the problem you knew that you were trying to solve? Okay, so I'll, I'll start off with how did I get into cybersecurity and then I'll go into how did I kind of have a vision to start a company. So, um, I've always loved the idea of hacking and reverse engineering and figuring out how things work. And uh, much to the chagrin of my mother, I would take things like hair dryers apart and, you know, how does that work? And uh, things were often sparking or blowing up in the house. And, and it was just always something that I loved to do is to see how things work. Um, and that was actually one of my favorite books growing up was how things work. It was this big, thick book and talked about how different machines worked and how they were put together. So that kind of just naturally led into electrical engineering and then I kind of tripped and fell into IT one day and it all came together with cybersecurity. So you have to know things on a very bit level, very, uh, you know, voltage level all the way up through packets and applications and, and getting really technical there. Uh, but to really be good at cybersecurity, you have to know that lower level. And, and, and that's, that's what I knew. So, I started working for the New York State Attorney General's office, wow. which is the second largest law firm in North America. And you can imagine California being the first, right? The two states are constantly vying for that top position of most litigious state in, you know, in the 50. Uh, so uh, after, after kind of doing operations there for a while, um, I started getting more and more involved in cybersecurity and, and building up our defenses. We constantly had hacktivist groups like Anonymous pointing their digital cannons at us. Mm. So it was just this crazy like cat and mouse thing back and forth and we'd, we'd get them, they'd get us and it was just, you know, and people didn't know this was going on. The lawyers came in every day and, and the lights were on, the network was running and it was always our honor to, you know, keep things going. Um, so I got involved in cybersecurity there. Uh, working for a government, uh, you know, state level government wasn't for me. I started getting certifications and people would say, why are you doing that? That's not going to do you any good here. And that was like a light bulb that said, Jeff, you got to get back into private. So I, I did that. I got back into private. And at, at a certain point, 
the board came to me and said, We're, we want to build this cybersecurity practice and we want you to do it. So to be clear, I built this company not with my money, but with my mind and somebody else's money. Uh, so that's a big, it's an important distinction. <laughs> uh, the problem that, that it solved was uh, all these IT companies around the U.S., there's hundreds and hundreds of IT companies providing services for businesses, and none of them have the talent that they need. There's this whole skills shortage in cybersecurity. So that was what I set out to solve. So I created this company that would allow IT companies to plug into our engineering staff in a consistent, repeatable, templated way that would scale across the country and that would eventually scale beyond the U.S. Okay. So we could describe it as making sure that these businesses have the talent they need for cybersecurity related purposes for the IT uh, products. Right. So just to get a little bit more specific, penetration testing, risk assessments, compliance needs. So you think of things like HIPAA and PCI, SOX, GLBA. In New York State, we have the Department of Financial Services that regulates insurance, banking, and financial services. And companies are trying to, you know, if I'm an insurance company, I'm selling insurance. I don't care about, maybe not care isn't the right word, but I'm not, you know, a master of cybersecurity and compliance, I'm good at selling you an insurance policy. Yeah. So they look to their IT provider and say, hey, this, this is technology related, can you help? And the answer was, in many cases, no. Or let me Google and find somebody who shows up on the first page of Google and I'll just give you a referral, not knowing if they're any good, but just kind of crossing our fingers. And, and we're solving that problem. So now these IT companies can say, yes, we, ha we have a company that does it. And that, um, you know, that takes care of the problem, provides that talent and plugs it in where it's needed. Okay. And I guess the next question is, how did you begin to scale it? Because one, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with companies and trying to make sure that they have the resources they need. How did you start from that one person that you connected and then scaled your business? Associations and industry uh, groups, so, uh, and I'm, I'm going to keep it pretty vague here, so I'm not naming specific names, just out of respect for, you know, we uh, non-disclosure non agreements. Yes, for sure. So we, we got into a bunch of associations, insurance associations, manufacturing associations, printing associations, and essentially, the, the, to answer that, that word scale, how do we scale? When you get your word into an association, then they get the, they turn it around and give it to 100 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people. So if you hold that relationship and hold it well and feed them and, and give them content, write the, I would spend 40 minutes a day writing newsletter content. Wow. And people are like, no, that's crazy. That can't be. And it's like, no, that's what I did. And I fed them with, with newsletter content to the point where they would be begging me for more for next month and next month and next month. And, and doing that, I was just having those few relationships, but having an audience that could scale out. And then in terms of scaling, uh, onboarding new IT companies to, to plug into our professional services, um, getting intimately involved in some of the distributors uh, that, that sell hardware and software, getting into their groups, becoming known there, 
uh, then word just starts to spread like rapid fire to the point where I no longer was begging people to work with me. I would come to my inbox in the morning and there were five or six different companies that said, we heard you from these three people. Can we, you know, sign up? Right. And I think that's a, uh, one of the things that in entrepreneurship you struggle with. You have a great product, but it's just making sure the right people see it. So when it comes to product marketing, how did you not only sell your product, but how did you make sure that people actually said, you know what, I'm signing up today. I trust this. I trust you and the product you're going to serve. You're going to secure um, who I, you're going to secure my products internally. Like, how did you make sure that, that you close the deals and how did you sell it? Yeah, so it's a variety of things. Case studies were helpful. Case studies always got when people were uh, right after we signed them up or right after we smashed a project out of the park, that was when you go and you get your case studies. And then you get uh, blanket referrals. So people who no matter what will always pick up the phone and, and say something nice about you. That Their experience has been so overwhelmingly positive that they will, you know, basically – Anybody can call them anytime and they'll say, say nice things. Um, so we a lot of that, uh, when you're selling things that are more as a service, so this is kind of like cybersecurity pro services. So it's, it's an as a service model. It's a little hard to like, if I want to sell you a switch, you can touch it, you can hold it, you can see where the ports are, where the power goes, you can see the blinking lights, you, know, you can read the spec sheet and it's, it's definitive. When you're talking about things like penetration testing and, and uh, vulnerability assessments and security assessments, it's hard to really sell that just by pure words. So a lot of emphasis on uh, sample reports, um, talking to other people who've had projects done. Uh, but the sample reports were a very solid tool to help sell because once people could see, okay, this makes sense, you're doing it at an executive Zoom level, and, and then, oh, by the way, you're also doing it at a technical Zoom level, so that all the different audiences in a company could understand the information and ingest it at their level of understanding. Yeah, okay. Um, and you guys, for the context, he was able to scale his business from 100, um, he's now onboarded over 100 partners in 37 states in less than three years. So this tactic that he that you're using, whether it's tapping into the association, spending 40 minutes on a newsletter, getting your referrals, is could you say that those were the very basic, um, those were the three like tools that you used to really spread the business? Yeah, Jasmine, you're, you're dead on there. And I would say referrals, I there was a point I would say three and a half years ago, I was allergic to referrals. They made me physically ill. And asking somebody to, you know, do me a favor, however you want to put it, it was just like, no way. Like, I wouldn't do it. And again, it came to that point where referrals were all I did, right? And, and, and a lot of it was that go-giver mentality. I don't know if you, there's, there's a whole book on that, but when you go give, what, what that is, is you find out people who do things that are tangential to what you do, like they're in the industry of cybersecurity, but not necessarily exactly what you do. And you find out about them. And then once that comes up, because it eventually will come up in conversations with you, you can say, I actually know somebody who does that. Let me connect you. Mm -hmm. So I just started connecting people. So I was giving referrals, giving referrals. And at some point that switch turned back. And the referrals started to come in the other way. So it just became this self-sustaining uh, storm of referrals in both directions. 
Okay. And from this business, because you're still with your company, Arctic Wolf, right? Yeah. So Arctic Wolf is a the, the new company that I switched over to. Um, the, the company that I, I was at, I left about two months ago um, for a variety of different reasons um, that I won't get into on this. <laughs> so are you full-blown entrepreneurship right now? Or like, where are we at? Because we're two months in. Um, and the reason why I ask, I know, I just want to give the audience just more clarity, like where you are right now, what you're doing, and like, what are some goals that are your, and how you're pushing the cybersecurity blanket forward? Yeah, um, a lot of, so I said earlier that I'm, I would consider myself in many ways a professional cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> um, the way that I'm moving things forward is a lot of just encouraging uh, people to take training, to enable them, to, to, to really handhold people through cybersecurity concepts, the laws and the regulations, because consumers, they don't really care about penetration testing or, you know, manage detection and response necessarily. They care about, I have to comply with this regulation. I don't want customer data to get stolen. So they have their needs and they're not necessarily what our needs would be for them. So helping um, these companies across North America understand this is what the client really needs and putting it in their context. And a lot of times taking a very complex topic and breaking it down. Yeah. Uh, so in a previous role, I was a, I was a traveling software trainer um, all across Canada and the U.S. And, and I think that that was a blessing in disguise because little did I know that like adult education would be the, the big thing that, okay, this is what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And yes, I can definitely see the trend that more people are going to go towards online information, learning from people that are already successful. Like that is definitely something that's coming because you can definitely go to college, but that's going to take a lot longer than you going through the courses, you getting the certifications and then you applying it because it's, it's learning at your own pace, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And learning has to be this continuous thing that you do. Um, I remember a recent, and again, I'll just be kind of ambiguous on, on who the players were, but there's a new regulation coming out in New York. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> who would have And I just remember somebody saying, look, I can handle this. I don't need your company to help me. I can do this on my own. How hard can it be? And I, I, I hesitated to roll my eyes, although in my, my mind's eye, I was rolling my eyes. But I, I pulled out, I had this book that I, I'm studying through for a certification called CISSP. Okay. And it, I kid you not, it's about this thick, about 1,100 pages. And I just let it drop onto the table real quick just for dramatic effect. And I said, this is just the, the, the door to, to open, you know, to enter into cybersecurity, not even getting deep. Are you sure you think you can delegate this? And they just were, they, you know, turned into a ghost. <laughs> I think a lot of times, like, we underestimate how important, like, risk, cybersecurity is. And I wanted to know, like, which technology application do most people use that expose them to the most risk without them knowing it? Your web browser. <laughs> your email and your web browser. Uh, it's, it's pretty – so Google does this HTTPS transparency report – and consistently, the web is 80% or higher uh, encrypted. So stuff's coming in and out of your web browser without the ability for it to be uh, inspected So on the network edge. So it's really dubious 
security to not be looking at 80% of the traffic that's flowing in and out. And unfortunately, businesses aren't decrypting that to inspect it, re-encrypt it, and then send it on its way. They're just letting it in. And so um, then you're kind of at the mercy of your web browser being patched and updated, and most people's aren't. So um, that and then email, right? And, and just a lot of that just comes down to user awareness training. So not necessarily that email is inherently bad. It's just that people act on uh, the fact that they're busy or I got, I got a phishing email that was something like pay your ticket online. It was this intersection. You're going this speed. And I'm thinking, man, I know I was in a rush that day and how convenient is it that I can pay this ticket online? And, and they got me, wow. <laughs> you know, they got, and I'm supposed to be the expert. <laughs> wow. And so what happened when you clicked on that email for context for the, for the listeners? So luckily it was my own company doing regular phishing trainings of ourselves. So what happened was the office, you know, at the water cooler, they were all joking on me, but uh, it, it did teach me a valuable lesson. So we do recommend to people that you, you send your employees to that regular phishing training and deploy the phishing campaigns to just to see where your, your problem spots are, right? Cause you could send somebody through a training and not really know if they're, savvy enough to see a phishing email. So that's, that's why we would do that on a monthly basis. Okay. And I was my, again, I'm bringing up my best friend because we had a good talk yesterday, but he was showing me how Venmo just had a data breach and a lot of millennials use Venmo. In fact, we use a lot of social media tools. We transfer data. Literally, we will tell you who we are, where we're at, what we're doing. How risky is that in the cybersecurity sense? It's incredibly risky. Oversharing is a problem. You know, first of all, I don't care what, what sandwich you ate at noon today. Like, that just does not get me going. <laughs> but second of all, uh, when I see these organized attacks happening on companies, they're looking at LinkedIn status updates. They're looking at Facebook updates. They're looking at when the CFO goes on vacation so that they can, you know, pounce and hit the accounts payable person at that very moment in time. Right. So they're connecting these social dots in people's networks and what they're sharing and, and I should say what they're oversharing. So stop oversharing, number one. Okay. No one cares about the sandwich. Uh, I would be careful about sharing, you know, when you're going to go on vacation. Feel free to share the pictures after the fact. You know, that's fine. Um, Google just announced, I think it was this week, that you can have, so if you use any Google products, you can have it auto clear out the location history. I think that's, something that I'm going to do. Um, there's browsers out there that are privacy first, such as the Brave browser, which is based on Chromium, the underpinnings for, for Google Chrome. I would use stuff like that because they have built-in do not track capabilities mm -hmm. uh, to get less, you know, customized ads. And then I don't know, it's, it's freaky and maybe you've seen this, but I'll have a conversation with somebody Yada, 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 I like golf balls, right? And all, something like that. And I'll, I won't have typed it in. There will be no email. There will be nothing in a web browser. And I'll swipe to the right of my phone where my news feed will show up. And guess what it's talking about? There's articles in there about golf balls. And, and I'm like, so it kind of freaks me out that that's, that's happened so many times that it's not, it's not incidental, right? It, it's, they're tracking you that way too. So I'd just be careful what you say. Uh, you know, technology will pick it up. It's going to put it through their algorithms and you're going to start getting advertised on it. So that, that 
frustrates me more than anything else. Okay. And I, I guess when we step over into entrepreneurship, it's actually beneficial if I own golf balls to sell them to you since you talked about them. So what's the thin line between I like that I can advertise and market on a digital platform, but I also don't like you just listen to it. So then you knew that I was more prone to maybe purchasing it. So what's the thin line there? And do you see it stopping in the near future? Or like, is it just going to be a person by person turning that setting off? What can, what can you do to combat that? And, and what's too much and what's too little? Yeah, so GDPR is, is the first attempt at a solution for this. So cybersecurity and privacy are brother and sister. Uh, they go hand in hand. They accomplish parallel goals in a way. Cybersecurity is more about the fortification, protection of the, the confidentiality, the integrity, and availability of data is the, is the definition of cybersecurity. Privacy is more about the fundamental human right to uh, your access to the data that people have stored on you, what they can do with it, if, if and when it can be deleted, and so on. So it, it kind of extends cybersecurity to another level of in what GDPR calls a fundamental human right to privacy. So there's things that we can do, and I mentioned a few of them earlier, as individuals just being savvy, right, getting security awareness training, turning off location tracking, you know, not posting about when I'm going to be on vac uh, vacation and so on. And then legislatively, you have things like GDPR, which a lot of people have the misconception that that's Europe only. No, that's anybody who stores or processes data of a European citizen. And that's going to cover many, 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 many companies in North America, right? If you have a service that's internet accessible and somebody from the European Union could sign up, then you have to be compliant with GDPR. So there's things like right to be forgotten. Um, which is came from there was a, a woman in Spain who was basically at one point in her life did something that wasn't representative of the rest of her life and it painted her and everybody looked at her as, as that unique point in time she won a case in, in court and that made its way into the GDPR regulation which is basically like if, if it's about me I can ask you to delete it okay. so I, I thought that was pretty interesting but the thin line is, you know, exists between security and, and privacy, and we all can do our own part in not oversharing and, and protecting ourselves. But then there's legislation, legislative controls in place, and the U.S. is looking at GDPR, not saying we want to copy-paste it, but we want to take elements of it and create our own national privacy framework. So that's already underway. Okay. And what are things that we worry too often about, but in the large scheme, it's really not going to hurt us when it comes to like technology and security. Things that people focus too much on aren't going to hurt them. So let me um, give you an example. If I had my phone and my and I took a picture, my grandma would say, "Why are you doing this? Don't share this on the internet. Don't share my picture on the internet." Uh, maybe that's a photo. It was it was taken one week ago, but it's just you know the older generation they may think that there are so many things that could come and attack you and like you can lose your, your bank cards, like any, any type of things. What are some things that we focus too much on that is not the biggest risk for us, if that makes sense? Yeah. So that's a good question. So large part of what the company that I, that I kind of started, uh, what we did was risk assessments. So really 
what we see is people, corporations in particular, not just individuals, but corporations spending money in the wrong areas um, because of some perceived risk that uh, some, so I, I travel, so I'm in airports and Barracuda, and I love Barracuda, they're great, but, you know, for the record, but they have these huge ads in airports and they're, they're like take up the entire wall of, an, of a whole hallway in an airport and you get these execs and they're walking through thinking, I got to get Barracuda. Look how big that ad is and look, you know, some huge statistic. And, and they're going to go back and, and talk to their IT folks and say, you guys have to implement this just because, you know, because I saw it on the wall. So it all has to go back to doing a risk assessment, looking at what threats are out there, what vulnerabilities exist, and what the likelihood is that a threat would exploit a vulnerability. So going through and doing that and kind of mapping out the threats, that, that's a big way of knowing if you're going to, if you're, putting your eggs in the wrong basket, so to speak. And that's going to be different for each person. I don't think there's a universal behavior that people are doing or, uh, you know, putting money in where, where they shouldn't be or behaviors, but it's, it's all like just that exercise of where am I weak on my networks as humans, my policy, my procedures, my physical, you know, door access control and, and security and all that, adding that all together and finding out, okay, what's the attack surface? right? Where are my vulnerabilities? And then where are the risks, right? So ransomware and crypto miners and, you know, nation state hackers. Most individuals, by the way, nation state hackers aren't going after you. So don't worry about that. You know, and, and looking at where your weaknesses are and, and mapping those threats to those vulnerabilities and, and how likely it is that they could be exploited. Focus on the critical high and medium. Take your time or don't really focus on the, on the low stuff. Okay. So, Let's just say I'm working and I really like cybersecurity or and and I like everything you're doing, Jeff. What's my first step to do something that you're doing? How do I start to do what you just did? How do you create a cybersecurity channel company that can rapidly scale uh, within three years? Is that the question? Yes, that's the question. And I love how you marketed that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I would say consistent, repeatable, and templated were the three words that just continuously came out of my mouth when people were like, you know, 60 seconds, you're going from floor zero to floor six in a building. Tell me what you do. And, ah, okay. And, and it was always, well, we provide consistent, repeatable, templated services. So, so regardless of the engineer, you get the same outcome. It, it allows us to hire uh, talent that's not necessarily top, top, top talent. And you can train people up in a process like that. Um, a book that I read that was very much a part of the DNA of the business was um, by Ron Gerber called The E-Myth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, so I, I'm not here to plug him necessarily, but he looked at, the, at Ray Kroc uh, and, and the McDonald brothers and how did they basically go from flipping hamburgers to turning it into a system with a baked-in process to a franchise to – they're all over the globe and it was all about process and creating consistent, repeatable, templated process to the point where you can go to a McDonald's down the road and look in the back and they will have pictures that show the bottom bun. And, and then above that is, is the patty and above that is the pickles and the ketchup and the top bun and you fold it this way. And so they, they turned everything into a process and we did that internally then we did it with the external facing product, which at the end of the day with cybersecurity was the reports that we delivered. 
So everything internal and customer facing was consistent, repeatable, templated. The phrase um, spend time on your business, not in your business was a big phrase that I've always used. And uh, there's, there's a whole, you know, matrix of, of urgent, uh, important, not urgent, not important, and how that shakes out. And you want to work on the stuff that's not a, a fire drill, but that is part of working on the business and not in it. So if you get back, if you slip back into that technician mode where, in, in Ron Gerber's book, this lady created a company and it was fairly successful making pies. Great. That's awesome. But she slipped back into technician mode where she's waking up at four o'clock every morning, burning herself out, making pies and leaving at 10 p.m., you know, and then getting back and doing it again. And she's burning out, burning out, burning out. So she was an entrepreneur who slipped back into a technician mode. So I'd be careful if you, if you feel like you're doing that, you probably are. You got to step back and take time to work on the business. Okay. I love that. And um, the other question is how do, and we have some questions from the audience guys. So my friend Johan, he asks, how did you obtain your first contract and how did you negotiate the terms? Great question. So uh, basically, I created a single eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that was, hey, this is what we offer. And uh, it was a company that we had a relationship with before that this was new, this was a new component. But that it was, you could say a friend of the family, somebody that we had done work with before. Uh, and we went to them and they, they were our, the first company that, that basically resold our cybersecurity services. So you want to if you want to go to your established relationships first and foremost, people who you have candor with and trust, and then in terms of contract, I mean that was just I, I hate to say it, but going on to Google, <laughs> finding a generic contract, cutting out the pieces that didn't uh, make any sense, and getting legal, uh, you know a lawyer to review it. And there's been many iterations of that ever since, uh, because much more established companies have reviewed the contract and said this doesn't make sense or that that means you're not liable for anything ever and let's fix the, the way that it, it reads. So it's taken time and that contract has, has definitely, that language has changed, the, the terms have changed. Um, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it was, it was Google <laughs> at first. You know, I think Gary V says it best, like Google is the answer and it's almost like your mom. Just ask Google. Don't ask your mom, ask Google. It literally right. answers that we need. Um, also, how did you structure your business? You know, you're the CEO, you're the person going out, getting the deals. Like, how did you structure your business? And how did you start to really see profit coming? And how have you been able to help other people with their revenue as well? Yeah, so the way that it was structured is um, we had a very lean leadership. Uh, I was essentially running sales, marketing, the brand, you know, mission, vision, uh, uh, values, you know, the website, like, I mean, just everything. And I, like I said earlier, writing 40 minutes a day for these various associations. So I was kind of a one man band with a harmonica clapping the cymbals and, and just, you know, playing like five different instruments. Um, we had, a, we hired a product manager that was huge for us somebody to continuously be working on the deliverable for the customer in each of the different, you know, risk assessments, penetration tests, policy. So that was very important for us uh, to go to that level of, hey, this person is dedicated to working on the business. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and once we had everything turned into a process, we could hire a couple of senior guys that yes, they, they cost more money, but you get people into the process and they don't have to be as senior and you, you can, you can build them up to that level. So it keeps the, the cost down for hiring new engineering staff. So that, that's what we did. That, that's how it was structured. Um, our, our, our reseller partners all over the country, um, we helped them do something that they were constantly getting asked about. Hey, can you help me with a pen test? Hey, I, I have to be PCI compliant. And they were just turning down business. Oh, and by the way, IT companies, it's not necessarily sexy to go out and say, hey, you want a new server? Hey, how would you like a switch? Or, uh, hey, what about this wireless access point? What do you think? You want to buy it? And, well, you know, I kid, right? But uh, this is a new cool thing to talk about, and it's it's the cowboys and the robbers, and it's the Wild West, and your data's out there. And look at, you know, Albany just got hacked, and Baltimore got hacked, Florida just got hacked, all these different places. Atlanta was the first big municipality that was just, like, hammered. Um, so, so people are worried about that, and we're solving a problem that these companies – uh, you know, weren't able to solve and they were just leaving money on the table. So they were capturing all new revenue streams through this. And then, oh, by the way, the poultry revenue on the back end, we're not just here being mall cops saying, here's all the problems, you know, have a great day. We were working with those re- reseller IT partners to say, oh, here's how you can help them and, and you can create, you know, a new project to fix this or fix that where the weaknesses were. So we were working as, as a team and a synergy to help the end customer. And, you know, I think it's really valuable to know, like, when it's time to delegate and when it's things that you should do. So how did how did you start to determine, Okay, I need to focus less on this and I need to focus more on this. And I know, like, um, Cesare, she was telling me, like, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Like, what's your morning routine? What what are you doing in this in these hours? We need to know. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, honestly, it's the thing about entrepreneurship, and, and anybody knows this, it's the initial days are going to be 12 to 16 hour days for, for many months, sometimes many years. That's not sustainable forever. Um, you have to be able to step out of it and, and, and look at it from, from a vacation or, or take some rest. And, and I think having a healthy do- dose of rest at some point is key to really getting those aha, you know, light bulb moments. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a grind for, for a long time. So just, you know, if you're feeling like, you know, and this is the same thing with the gym, right? People go to the gym for like two weeks and they're like, I don't see any change. And it's, you know, after two months is is when you, when you're going to see it. So you got to just, you just got to keep working at it. Okay. And do you have any like morning routine tips? Do you wake up, meditate, pray? Like what are, what's your morning routine? Yeah, I wake up, I get into the Word, I have uh, two prayer bridges that I, I get involved in, and when you're, when you're waking up, thanking the Lord for what He's given you, and you're counting your blessings, you pretty much, it's really hard to have a bad day. Even if, even if bad things happen, and believe me, bad things happen. <laughs> uh, people are mean and mean, mean-spirited, and, and you know, you're getting cut off in traffic even before you get to work, and just the, life happens around you, but when you're in that like mode of, hey, I woke up today, and, and I, I always like to do the math. I always like to say, so I'm 35 right now, times 365 and a quarter. I've had three meals a day for that many days without fail, nonstop. And I look at that and I say, what are you going to get pissed off about today, Jeff? 
you have the longest running streak. Like that's amazing. So it's a lot of it's just when you get into the word and you pray and, and just getting your perspective fixed in the morning prior to starting, you know, grinding away at email and everything else. Okay. And Jeff, we know that entrepreneurship is not easy. Having an idea is not easy. Going after something continuously is not easy. How have you kept the faith? What has motivated you when you wanted to give up? What is your why? Ooh, that, I like that. Simon Sinek would love you right now. <laughs> <laughs> what is your why? I love that. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't exist to do cybersecurity. And so it is the big thing that, that I do to pay the bills. It's, it's great. It pays the internet, it pays the mortgage. Um, but I'm not here for cybersecurity. I'm here to help people out. Uh, and my, so my faith is the thing that I live for. That is my why. And I, I don't look at people as a means to an end. So I'm, I'm very sort of anti-niche in that way. Um, I look at people as, as uh, what potential they have and, and where they could be. Um, and that my why is to see uh, people at, at their highest potential. Um, there's a, there was a, an older American philosopher, William James, who said, compared to what we ought to be, we are only half awake. Right, and I think about that. I do these, like last weekend, I did Devil's Path and the Catskills. It was, it was a marathon, 26.2 miles, six mountains, 18,000 feet of elevation change. And I just wanted to give up, and I wanted to give up. And, and you know, it's, it's 11 o'clock, you know, at night. It's 12 in the morning. It's 1 o'clock the next day. We were still, we were still going, and um, just giving up is not an option. And, and my kind of my family thing is Millers aren't quitters. So if if you kind of give yourself like a, a, a life kind of saying, you know, and you repeat it enough times, it, it becomes really hard to quit, even at one o'clock in the morning when, when, when you re remember Millers aren't quitters. Mm, I think I got it. Sits don't quit. <laughs> yes. I like that. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. I needed that. Sits don't quit. That did not quit. Um, I also want to know, like, is there anything you would tell your younger self as you were going through school you know right now a big thing in the millennial generation is what's the point of going to college like you could just yeah. up on instagram or something like what is the value of con seeking out continued education and what would you tell your younger self all right so uh, i like stories so i i started another company when i was 22 with a guy that uh was a foreign exchange student he went to my high school uh Basically, we, we convinced the bank to give us a quarter million dollars. We wrote a business plan. And then we proceeded to spend two months putting up sheetrock, building walls, putting electrical uh, in, you know, outlets, shelves, building a front desk, building a point of sale system. And the doors were closed and nobody was coming in and we didn't have, we weren't getting sales. And I would tell people, don't spend two months sheetrocking. <laughs> right get a minimum viable product uh we have a saying where i work now and it's progress it, it's uh progress not perfection mm. and i don't know where that came from i don't think that we created that i think that's kind of you know tried and tested advice um it's like the agile methodology for programming you're not looking to make the best program you're looking to make small wins small wins small wins and I think that's really big is to get those small wins, get a minimum viable product, go after it, get some sales. Uh, you'll get some people who will trust you. You'll get some people who will give you some feedback and 
tell you that maybe that wasn't the best thing or you could fix this. Um, but I would say that approach is very important in, in terms of being an entrepreneur. Wow. Jeff, you said a lot. One, you said you convinced somebody at 22 to a bank to give you a quarter of a mil, quarter of a million dollars. I don't know if you doubt mine. Could you please unpack that? Because in my community, nobody's going to the bank. They're on the streets. Can I please, like, we need some money for our business. How important was it going to the bank with the business plan? Is that still something that we can do today? Can we unpack that piece? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was, uh, the business plan was 34 pages. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were asking for like $200 million, right? Venture capitalists or anything like that. The local bank, you know, it was a business loan and uh, it, it was many uh, different conferences with them and meeting them in person and, and, and taking them through projections and what was the need that we were solving? What was the market for it? What would be the buying conditions for it and so on? And showing them that we weren't just like kind of on a whim saying, give us a quarter million dollars, but hey, we, we thought this through. We stayed up at, at night and thought about it. We woke up the next morning and thought about it. We thought about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we put this together. We think it's going to give you return on your investment, and here's why, and, and painting that picture. At the end of the day, the bank is very risk averse. Yeah. And if it looks like they're going to lose their money, they're not going to give you money. It's like the shark tank, right? Same thing. So that's what we did. And, uh, and, and it worked. Uh, thankfully, um, that business actually tanked like four out of five small businesses will, but that was, it was probably the best, most expensive lesson I've gotten in my life. And I thank God for it. Uh, you know, those are the things that you remember, right? Don't sheet rock for two months. <laughs> <laughs> So did you have to pay it back or like, did you have to pay the money back or it just lost or like what, what happened? Your 22 year old self, you just, okay, we messed up. But like, what, how did you get through that? So it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy what happened. So I sold my interest back into, so I was responsible for a half of that and my business partner was responsible for the other half. I sold my interest back to him mm -hmm. and went on my merry way. So I came out of it literally not having to, to pay a dime. And he went to run the business for another few years and we kind of lost touch. I kid you not, last Sunday or two Sundays ago, I, he, uh, his baby was getting dedicated at my church and I, I didn't even know he went to church with me. What? And it's like 15 years, like I haven't seen him. This is like crazy. My math is wrong. I'm 35 and it was, I was 22. So I just did that wrong. But I was like blown away and he was like, let's get together. Let's chat. Let's, so it was all water under the bridge and he had moved on and I had moved on and it was a big life lesson, a big crazy thing that we did when we were 22. He's very successful right now. I am too. And, and, and uh, it, it was just, it was mind blowing that he was, I was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that has something to do with like keeping your relationships and understanding like not to burn any bridges and just like, relationship management and it's if it's a text a year you know checking in how do you really manage your relationships yeah so it, frequency has something to do with it if you're never communicating that's a problem so the more regular you're talking to people that's important you know what i do with my partners that i the it companies i've been talking about is I get to know them. I get to know their spouses. I get to know what they're doing, what their hobbies are. I get to know if their mom is ill. So 
I, if, if somebody tells me that their mom is in the hospital, I'm writing them a condolence card. I'm going down to the, the corner store. I'm getting a card. I'm handwriting a note and I'm mailing it to them. Mm-hmm. Right now, some firm letter, not dear first name, last name. Hey, friend, I'm sorry you're hurting. And, you know, I'm caring about you. I'm thinking about you and, and sending stuff like that. And, and also celebrations, right? You know, new house or, or whatever. And just caring about people as people and not as, as your, part of your quota, right? And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that will, your quota will take care of itself if you take care of people as people. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeff, I think this leads me into my, I think it may be my last question. You talked about being a cheerleader. You talked yep. about really helping people. You talked about like really stepping into like your next phase of your calling. What does this being a cheerleader look like? Yeah, so thankfully right now, uh, you know, I, I was doing all of North America. Right now I'm doing everything D.C. and up and then Buffalo out to Boston. So I'm really thankful that I, everything that, um, that I'm working on is within a six-hour radius from where I live. And so uh, it's getting in front of people and finding out, am I talking to the right person? Am I not talking to the right person? If I make this move, is that going to be a problem? Is that going to add noise? Um, how do I encourage them to continue to register deals? And how do I incentivize them? There's a lot of behavior modification techniques that go into it. Uh, and some people might say that's manipulation. I, I don't think that's true. I think it's, it's, there's a book I'm reading right now called Presuasion. Okay. Um, it's a, you know, a play on the word persuasion. And it's a really good book about uh, how you can kind of get people to do certain things. So that, that, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People is one of the books I've read at least a dozen times. Yeah. And I think once you get on that level with people where you're using their first name, like Jasmine, Jasmine, you know, and, and, but you're doing it genuinely, um, those are some of the tactics that I use. And, and when you start to do it as a tactic, what happens over time is it just becomes, it's no longer a tactic. It's real and you're doing it and, and you really truly care about people and you really care about their name and their, their success. So that's, so being a cheerleader to me is, you know, ultimately I'm trying to help them hit their revenue goals. We're trying to hit the customer's problem that they have that, that we're going to solve together. And I'm holding the relationship. I'm gluing everybody together. And so it's, I wake up and I just, I just help people uh, generate revenue. I help people solve their problems and troubleshoot these, these intricacies in business. Jeff, this was amazing. This interview, like, I feel like I walked away with multiple things. Books that I need to read, I believe it was Persuasion. We talked about yep. friends and influence people. I think you even mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned some books, so I need, we need to make sure that's in the show notes. Um, I think, like, the vulnerabilities that are in companies and how we, like, can educate individuals to, like, really check their privacy settings. I think we also just talked about how to start a business, how to start it kind of the wrong way by building that sheetrock, but then focusing on how do we get the customers and then the MVP, right? Like just the minimum viable product, the agile method, let's start small and let's incremental out. That way you don't spend so much time trying to perfect something. And I think we got to know just a little bit behind the scenes of what you've done over 35 years of your life and how you're a cheerleader today. Um, I don't know about you, but I think this is a great episode. What do you think? 
<laughs> I had a fun time doing it with you. <laughs> I can agree. I can agree. And um, you guys earlier, and I have to apologize. I didn't mention. I have to read his bio. I gotta tell y'all who Jeffy is, because now you know what he what he's done, what he's accomplished, how he did it. He gave us some nuggets of wisdom. But I want to close out with this. Jeff Miller travels around North America helping businesses build revenue and protect against cyber attacks. He has a degree in microelectronic engineering, but fancies himself these days as a business coach and a mentor, working with his business leaders to strategize and stay focused. You know, because people can get off track really easily. Jeff is successfully started a channel company, onboarding over 100 partners in 37 states in less than three years. He currently works for Arctic Work Networks and industry leader in Security Operations Center, SOC, as a service. And Jeff's company is taking over a lethargic industry where incumbents can have fallen asleep to the customer's needs. His fast-paced and customer-centric approach is part of both his and Arctic Wolf's DNA. So again, you guys, just by reading his bio at the end, now you can reverse engineer and follow what he just talked about and what he's done. And he just told you how he got to that point. And I feel like if we understand how to really um, digest this information, Jeff left us many clues in this interview. So check it out, tune in, send Cesara an email and let her know how well this interview went and share it with a friend. Make sure that people are tuning in week after week to this business, Business Politics 318 podcast. And also make sure you're following Jeff Miller on LinkedIn. That is the one place that you can find him. And then you guys, I think this is a great episode. Jeff, thank you for your time. And now we're gonna call Cesara back in the room so we can go behind the scenes. How do you feel? Do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs>